All right. So since the the news broke that Barry Weiss was leaving the New York Times, people went crazy as to see what she had to say with respects to her commentary uh, post-resignation. Now, for those who don't know, Barry Weiss is an American opinion writer and editor, and she's one of those people that has no problem speaking her mind, but she's also a very well-thought-out and articulated intellectual thinker and speaker. I mean, personally, I would classify her amongst the highest intellectual thinkers in this modern era. And although I don't agree with everything she says, I think that more often than not, her opinion and her take on things is most certainly very sound and is also something very thought-provoking. I mean, I think you can put her right up there with Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, uh, Melissa Chen, and the, the Weinstein brothers. Um, you name it, right? I'm sure I'm missing out a handful of people, um, like Sam Harris as well, too. But So I'm doing this episode just like merely hours after Barry Weiss's resignation was announced and just minutes after she posted her, uh, her reasoning for leaving the Times on her own website uh, on uh, BarryWeiss.com, and she wrote a letter about this. Now, after going over her letter in a very thorough, articulate way, or at least, you know, as thorough as I could personally be, I found that her letter to the, you know, to the rest of the world really contained something that I really feared the most. And Assuming this is true, it essentially has made me lose all hope otherwise. Now, before I go on, I want to say that everything she said in this letter is nothing new, per se. But there's not there hasn't exactly been someone at an institution such as the New York Times that has come out publicly and validated the opinions and beliefs that you know so many were have already believed. Now, listen, I didn't want this to be the case especially about a publication like the New York Times and, you know, certain other mainstream media outlets. But at the end of the day, I'm also, yeah, I guess you could say, I'm, I'm saddened that I have to question sources that are supposed to be as non-biased as possible. Now, yes, you can argue that no source of news can ever be perfectly neutral. However, I don't think that establishments like the Times or the Washington Post even aspire to be that. Uh, and Barry Weiss has, in a certain sense, confirmed this for me. So let's take a look at what she actually said and, and break it down accordingly. So to begin with, she emphasized the fact that after the 2016 election, the New York Times had been found to be vastly disconnected with the average American and many writers there have admitted this. And I'll give them credit for that. I mean, credit should be given where credit is due, right? Now, what stuck out to me as part of the initial portion of this letter was that there are only a collective and enlightened few at the top of these orthodox-like establishments that actually know what the fuck is going on, and their job is to inform everyone else. Now, this has been the case for many years, but th this is one of the many problems in which I have with mainstream journalism and reporting, which is that people's ability to obtain true and real information is not, and I repeat, it is not a process of collective discovery as it should be, but instead it is up to the people at the top to relay that information to the rest of the world. But what happens when the people at the top who know 
the the most you know the most possible unbiased uncensored form of the truth what happens when they twist those facts and alter those contexts and circumstances to a point where the word opinionated that definite that word opinionated doctors itself into the equation without the label or the word opinionated being placed at the top of that article and the question is if if there is some opinion or biasness within any of these publications if these are the ones that are at the top that are receiving the only ones receiving the true true reality of things based on their you know sources because they're the only ones that have these connections who else would be able to ascertain the veracity of that article is what I want to know. Who else would be able to do it if there are only a select few at the top of these institutions that know the real, most raw and uncensored truth? And that is where it gets scary for me because this information is being broadcasted to the rest of the world and both you and I read and do our best to extract and interpret this information as fairly as we can. But what happens if we're attempting to be as neutral as possible with information that may have the potential to have opinion within it? Then how, like, you know what I mean? We're trying to, we're trying to formulate an unbiasedness view towards something that's already been pulled in a certain direction, right? And that is where things get really fucking scary. Because, now look, I'm not saying that all of those at the top are purposely twisting and manipulating the truth. However, the fact that it, it could potentially be a possibility is a scary thing. It shouldn't have the potential to be possible at all. And we as a people have no way of monitoring how those at the top filter the information out to the rest of the world. So this just makes me wonder who I can trust and what establishment isn't influenced by, you know, the, the quote-unquote social norm, so to speak. Now, this stuff just frustrates me. Now, th this brings me to the next part of, of Miss Barry Weiss's article, which is that she speaks on how the New York Times has fallen to the narrative that is being pushed on Twitter. And so she has expressly and vigorously stated in this letter of hers that Twitter is essentially the editor of the New York Times. Like, how fucked up is that? And this does nothing except reinforce my initial fears and my initial points that I just spoke about. Now, Barry Weiss does indeed note that she doesn't think that the writers and editors of the New York Times themselves fully believe in every mainstream and popular opinion and view that is shared and expressed on Twitter. But she's explicitly stated that these writers have fallen prey to the social norm that is expressed on Twitter. So I don't know how much worse it can really get, to tell you the truth. I mean, if these writers don't believe in everything that goes on on Twitter, and yet they still allow Twitter to be their editor, so to speak, then at that point, I feel like there's no foundation in, in which opposing views could be argued upon in order to simulate a meaningful debate and provide legitimate factual evidence. And so she also speaks about how some coworkers have even gone as far as to harass her on Twitter and have said that, you know, as according to her, has, you know, 
has said that she needs to be rooted out of the company in order for the New York Times to be more inclusive. So this is when things really start to piss me off because, wait a minute, isn't the word inclusive supposed to mean that everybody of all different views are allowed into an establishment or a forum? Isn't that the very definition of the word? But instead, what seems to be going on here is that the New York Times, according to Barry Weiss, is using the word inclusive as a way to enforce one particular agenda or movement that only serves to benefit one side of the political aisle. And so she also speaks about the hypocrisy that goes on within the Times itself, which is that even though certain writers and editors tend to champion and praise one particular ideology in public simply because it suits the narrative of the rest of society and the writer then gains more approval as a journalist, they then, according to Barry Weiss at least, have an entirely different view within the privacy of their workspace and amongst their colleagues, which is that they don't always believe in what they tweet and write about publicly. And apparently... They also champion Barry Weiss for having quote-unquote courage. And that's the thing I also want to point out, which is that since when the fuck did having a more centrist view become a brave and courageous thing? I mean, look, things over the last four to five years have changed significantly in so many different ways and why people suddenly feel the need to fall in line with everyone else in order to feel accepted is fucking beyond me like i don't understand and i'm not doing this for the sake of rebelling against the social norm or the or the 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 narrative that's being pushed right now in society i'm not but i think there's a lot of points that that mainstream that the that the current narrative makes that are that are very good, but I also think there are points that are very, very poor. So when the hell did having a centrist to right-wing leaning sort of view become like some rebellious kind of act? That's what I want to know. I mean, I think up until five, six years ago, it wasn't really a big, a big deal. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you transition over that period of time up until until, you know, the present, and all of a sudden, you know, if you have a, a center or a more right-leaning view, then shit starts to hit the fan. Like, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? Like, why the fuck is that happening? Now, uh, Barry Weiss also mentioned something that really stood out to me personally that I think has been probably worded so perfectly and couldn't have been said better by anybody else, in my opinion, and that is that intellectual thinking and risk-taking is a liability at the New York Times. And she went on to say, and I quote, why edit someone so bold and risk-taking and write something challenging to our readers when we can assure ourselves job security by writing a super long op-ed about how Donald Trump is an existential threat to our country? End quote. What she points out has, been, has uh, you know, been done thousands of times already. And you know, she goes on to directly suggest that anything about Donald Trump essentially guarantees them views and clicks, therefore guaranteeing them and solidifying their, their, their jobs and their employment positions. So, 
I mean, that makes perfect sense. Now, she also says that self-censorship is the new norm right now. Now, the next part of her letter that I'm going to talk about pretty much relates to every single point I've been trying to make this entire episode, which is that the traditional rules and principles that the Times used to have and stand on still exist, but to a limited extent. And they're applied with extreme selectivity, like... The thing I want to ask is, in general, how much more proof do any of us need? You know what I mean? I'm not saying that the far right is correct or that leaning right is correct. What I'm saying is that people tend to fall for this unbiased news crap when in a lot of cases it's leaning in a certain direction. Right? And that's how powerful the media is. So that's my thing. Like, how much proof do any of us fucking need, man? Like, I don't understand. But now, she then goes on to say that if an employee's journalistic writings and ideologies are in tune with the new orthodoxy or the new social norm, then their work remains unscrutinized. But everyone else who writes anything, but, it, like, except for what is this new norm, is living in fear because their work will most definitely be scrutinized. With an assumption even before the editor takes a look at the, at the, the, the piece that's been written. So... What I want to know is, please tell me again how the fuck free speech is supposedly still encouraged. Tell me. You know what I mean? So, she then goes on to say that attacking somebody online is only excused when it is directed at the proper targets that fit their agenda. Which, of course, needs to remain in line with those of, you know, social justice warriors and the, the leaning far-left ideology and political bias. Right? So... You can attack someone as long as it's someone, someone that fits our narrative of being, you know, uh, a poorly constructed ideological person or, you know, in, you know, like Donald Trump or any of his, you know, cronies for that matter. Now, Ms. Weiss also notes that those who want to stand up and fight for their own personal beliefs within the New York Times tend not to do or say anything about it. Maybe because they feel they'll have a secure job if they just nod their heads and just be, you know, yes men or in women that approve of anything and everything that fits their agenda, you know? Or it could also be that if they stand up for what they believe is right, it puts a massive target on their back and it doesn't win praise and it doesn't win those awards and what have you. So, look... Everything that Barry Weiss has said has essentially reiterated what I feared. You know, and, and it's, a reiterated, it's reiterated what I feared has been the case within many institutions. And even though this type of culture is present at the New York Times, I want to be fair and I want to say it certainly doesn't mean that it is guaranteed to exist at other journalistic out, uh, outlets and news sources. But let's face it, good chance that it does. Now... With that being said, I don't want anyone to mistake me for defending Donald Trump's fake news bullshit. Not at all. But the thing is, when letters such as Barry Weiss's comes forward, do you know what it does? It, it only adds fuel to the fire, to the far right. And all it does is give a fuck ton of more energy to, you know, to people like Sean Hannity or Alex Jones and what have you. Now, that's not to say that I'm, I'm ridiculing these people. Not at all. Because in some cases... In some cases, I say that carefully, they make valid points. But at the same time, I think it's crucial to understand that regardless of what side of the political spectrum you are on, we should not be adding fuel to the fire 
towards either side of the political spectrum. What we need to do is we need to be communicating in a healthy intellectual debate and not cramming everything with gotcha moments, you know, that just end up looking good in a fucking tweet and nowhere else. And I think that all of this just comes down to the fact that people want to gain appraisal and approval and deep, deep down are looking more and more to become something of a, an online celebrity instead of really fighting for what is right. And I'm telling you, that is how the fall of the West will slowly start to come to fruition. Because we will be far too occupied with the feeling of needing to belong and be accepted that we will tend to neglect the real issues that face us and others all around the world. And if those traits inhabit themselves within the major institutions that are supposed to report unbiased news, then it's just going to be a trickle-down effect. Right from the top down, I'm telling you. And it's very possible that this is where all of it's going to start. And honestly, look, as much as I never want to admit that this is what I'm thinking, I can't hide my personal opinion and observation from people, especially on a podcast where I myself enforce the ideology of free thinking and encourage the upcoming generation to think for themselves so that if things swing too far in either direction... This upcoming, you know, Generation uh, Z and Generation X will know how and when to, to step in in order to repair what has been done. Thank you.